This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. It's another film study. Week four, we're going to look back at the defensive performance in Washington, D.C., or I guess I should say Maryland. 
Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing good. I uh, Did you notice during the broadcast how many times they would say, come in here from Maryland? Yes. So, well, they, they have to travel there. They know where they're going to Landover, I guess. I, I think they do it just to mess with Dan Snyder. <laughs> because Dan Snyder hates that FedEx Field is not in Washington, D.C. Interesting. It's why he keeps trying to build a new stadium over by the old RFK. So, which is weird because I hate being in D.C. and I moved to Florida to, to get away from D.C. <laughs> what will but, they do with that stadium when they're done with it? Because, I mean, they've got a long lease on that, I assume, and they, they did a bunch of renovations to it. But With uh, FedEx? Yeah. It's a bad stadium. It is a bad stadium. So does that it's, mean... It's a, they're going to use it for other things. I mean, right now... That stadium that the uh, soccer team plays on is a nicer stadium uh, than, than this one. There's a sports complex next to the stadium, so I think there's plans that it would be used for other sports hmm. and uh, other things in the area. I know there's a push to get the World Cup in the Baltimore-Washington area now because you could use uh, where the MLS team is. You could use the different colleges and you could use both m&t and fedex field so it could be an olympic stadium if they ever got the olympics there there are options yeah I guess. yeah and i moved out of maryland to stay away from dc traffic i can't imagine if the olympics come to dc how bad that traffic would be you got a point so, there um i hopefully for all of you that still live in that area that does not happen but uh ken let's welcome in our guests We've got Gabe coming into us from the other coast. Gabe, who you guys heard earlier today or yesterday as we launched the first episode of the Situation Room. Gabe, how's it going? I'm doing well. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, and uh, thanks for letting me and Jordan, you know, have a podcast with you guys. We're really excited to get that going. We like like the concept, and we're excited about about starting a new podcast. So we really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Uh- Absolutely, Gabe, and and happy to have you on this show in particular to talk defense. Uh, you know, interesting win for the Ravens. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about the NFL in general and the current COVID situation because it kind of dominates everything. I mean, it's hanging over Monday Night Football tonight with the with the Chiefs and Patriots playing without Cam Newton. Um, what changes do you think need to be made in, in, at this point? So at this point, I think best thing that they can do is just make sure that all the teams are following the protocols as strictly as they can. I know they changed some protocols to make it even more strict for teams. I think that's the correct way of doing things. They've added the point of care tests that they can be testing on game day so you don't have some of these late um, positives that can pop up and, and mess things up. So I think those are all good things. The other potential thing that could happen would just be build, building in an extra bye week maybe putting it in week, week nine of the season, having it as just kind of like a buffer that you could postpone games to and then right. just extend the season one more, one more week. It needs to be later than that because that would, that would not allow for back-ended problems with COVID to emerge. So you probably need to have an extra week between the, the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs, which a lot of playoff teams would like anyway. And then maybe you need another bye week around week 12 or something. So you give your chance self two chances to catch it if there, if there are needs to replay two games. But obviously, but, very serious competitive concerns, and I don't think people realize just how much of the flexibility of the schedule has been taken away by the single move of the Steelers, Ravens, and Titans games 
into seven and eight. But that's a lot of the flexibility in the league entirely gone. But remember, baseball went through this a few months ago. Mm-hmm. And, and the NFL, just like baseball, went into this season knowing this would happen at some point and having a slight plan put together. And what it came down to with baseball was individual responsibility. And once you had one team that broke out, you had locker room conversations of, we can't be the next team. It's too important. So it came down to that individual responsibility. And I think you'll see a lot of players, now that the Titans been hit, of talking and making sure they're wearing the masks and keeping people accountable. Josh, I like that idea in terms of increasing the responsibility, but there will be positives and there will be breakouts. Yes still to come. And, and here's the thing. You can't fix it like you can baseball. They could make the Cardinals play all those crapola doubleheaders in a row. And they, they did that for years in baseball with rainouts. And, you know, right. we, we've lived in the modern era where there haven't been a lot of doubleheaders. But way back, go back to the 1910s, 1920s, they sacked the doubleheaders to the frickin' moon and allowed baseball teams to play them in, the, in, the, in the August and September. Uh, you, know, just, yeah. you can't fix it with the NFL. No, but my, I think my point with baseball is that it started early. Everyone freaked out and said, cancel the season. It's not possible. Mm-hmm. And they made some tweaks, and they made it work, and we're now in baseball playoffs. And right. things have calmed down. We haven't talked about COVID in baseball for a while. No, that's Fo- Football is going to go through the same thing. I, I, you know, they, I, hopefully they have been through the same thing because if, yes. there's, if there's more of it, then that's, that's really going to imperil the entire thing at this point. I'm, the, I just... the positive takeaway is that Cam Newton got COVID – and no one else on the team. Yes, that's good. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as the, I don't, we don't know how it happened or whatever, but yeah, that's the positive angle. Is let's let's move on. I, what I really was asking with the question here, and this is the other the other thing I want to talk about, Gabe, is how should the Ravens treat a COVID season differently now, if at all? So, I think the Ravens would say they're not going to treat it any differently, um, and for me. That's my take on it as well. I think you just keep playing it as you would any other season because if you go in it with a different mindset, I think you're already defeating yourself. I think you have to pretend that it's just like a regular season even though it clearly isn't. Okay, so let me be more specific about that. Should the Ravens be trading a lot of draft capital or, or taking on cap expense to win this year with COVID, the COVID cloud hanging over everything and also the higher value of cap dollars next year? I would still say no, um, and that's partially because I don't think it's all ever a good idea to kind of risk the future for winning right now. And I think that the Ravens will still have a good team next year. Um, they have a lot of the same players that they can have on next year's roster, and I think you're risking a lot to bring in one or two players. You don't know how they're going to fit. It's going to maybe take a few games for them to get things together anyway. I okay, wouldn't be so- the person who does that. Just to stop you for a second, those are the standard risks. And I'm saying there's extra risk in this year. I agree with you. I wouldn't make the trades either. I wouldn't trade a lot of draft capital, even if it was to find a cheap player. You know, there's talk about getting uh, Logan Ryan now. And he he wouldn't probably cost that much because the Giants want to get out of some cap dollars under COVID. And it might, it might make sense. But if they got him, then all of a sudden they have some additional cap. They've, they've traded some draft capital away. And... The problem is not the amount you trade. Presumably, that's the right amount for this year. But then, then you, you concern yourself that you, you're not necessarily going to get 100% return on your expectation because of COVID. And that's kind of where I am about this. Is I don't think I'd make changes in a year like this, make any kind of free agent move that I thought could help me get over the top this year at this point. 
So I, I definitely th- get what you're saying now because there are things about this season that are different just in terms of the fact there's no home field advantage, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's a thing that you know the Ravens would generally have in the, in the playoffs, you would think, but maybe they have in the past couple of years anyway. But <laughs> that's neither here nor there. But I think that also you have to consider maybe the season doesn't play out and you're investing a lot in this one season and it doesn't Bingo. happen. Yeah, so I, I agree with you on that 100%. All right, let's move on and talk about the game. We'll talk about some, some fun things. For, for one thing, it's, I felt like it's getting too much back and forthy, and I, I hate that on this show, but we want to give people some good football content. Thoughts on this game? Should we be concerned about only winning by two scores against the Washington Redskins? I'm not. I think, <laughs> it, I think that's kind of the hot take after this game because everybody seems to be really upset about this. But the Ravens were winning 31-10 with like four minutes left in this game, and they basically took out their offense. They put in RG3. They arm punted and gave the ball back, and then you know the Washington football team scored a garbage time touchdown against our practice squad cornerback. So mm-hmm. that's not a thing for me to be concerned about. I thought the Ravens were in complete control of this game after probably ten minutes in. Um, after they scored the first touchdown, they went and scored another touchdown really quickly. You know, Washington responded back, but after that, it was pretty much Ravens dominating the game on both sides of the ball, and then it was okay. a three-score game. I'm with you entirely. I, I asked the question only to, to poke a fork in it and, and look at this turd of a, of a hot take that's out there. Um, I'm not concerned about the killer instinct of the team, so we're not going to go into that. It's kind of the same question. But in looking to the opponents to date that the Ravens have faced this season, are you concerned at all about the Ravens not being the team you thought they were so far? So there are things that concern me, but not based off of the opponents, because I think that the Browns are actually a good team. Mm-hmm. I said that after they played them, that they might have the, one of the best offensive lines in football. They also have a very good defensive line. And the only thing that I'm concerned about right now is the Ravens' rushing attack. I don't, I don't think it's clicking at the same level that it was last year. And I think that's a personnel issue. And I think that that can be mildly assuaged as the season progresses. I think some players can maybe get better. They might design a few different things. But that's really my only concern. I think most of the rest of the team is, is looking pretty good. Okay. I, I've been very concerned, and this is really a topic for the offense tomorrow, that the, the team has not been playing as much pistol as it did last year, not nearly as much. And that makes the that gives the defense certain advantages. Obviously, it gives the offense, in theory, advantages to go with that. But I think the more you can run out of the pistol, the more you can freeze ends, the more you create time for Jackson in the pocket the more time you create time for, for double teams and create time for routes to develop down the field. That's what the Ravens, I think, need. They really demonstrated it in this game with Jackson having some great extended plays. By the way, the whole notion of the passing game is going nowhere is ridiculous to me. Uh, you know, the extended play to Andrews was a thing of beauty. There's another extended play to Brown that was a thing of beauty. I mean, that's exactly what this Ravens offense needs to be, is a, is a vulture of a passing offense that can take advantage of extended pockets and Jackson's ability to create throwing windows with his legs. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think the passing game is significantly ahead of where it was at this point last year. And, you know, part of that is development of Lamar Jackson. And part of that is also, you know, some more chemistry with, with the offensive weapons. Like Marquise Brown, I think, is having a bigger impact on the game now than he had through week four last year. Um, but moving forward, I, I think what we've seen from Jackson as a passer is a very positive thing. Right. I, I, I would agree. I don't I don't really have a problem at all with what's happened so far. Let's talk defense here because that's what we're here for. People logged on for this. They want to they hear about that. My biggest concern coming out of this game, 
um, is somebody maybe a lot of people aren't concerned about. You know, they look at the stat sheet and they see Patrick Queen had 12 tackles, nine solo, three of them for loss. They look a little deeper. He's got contributions to seven different defensive wins, which is an astounding total for one game among those tackles. And yet I think there's a lot to be very concerned about with what, uh, how, what, who Queen is as a defensive player at this point. Uh, a lot of infuriating coverage play where he does not have really any clue what his assignment is. Yeah, that, that to me is the biggest concern. And, and this is probably the best I think we've seen him play, especially in run defense. But mm-hmm. it's kind of night and day in his ability to play against the run and his ability to play against the pass. There are a few reps that he had in this game which were just atrocious. I mean, it's hard to imagine a worse kind of play that Queen put out there in, in coverage. There's one particular that comes to mind where he was lined up over, I think it was J.D. McKissick in man coverage, and yep. it was an incomplete pass, but McKissick just ran right past him, and he was open by five yards. If it was an accurate throw, it could have been a touchdown. And he, just didn't, he was just completely out of position, and he didn't have a clue as to what to do with him. Yeah, that was Q2730, if you want to go back to game pass, folks. Um, coverage at McKissick off the line of scrimmage, it, it reminded me exactly of what happened on Monday night against Edwards Hilaire. Uh, there was a, a wheel route on that right side. Uh, Queen came up, uh, kind of leaned into him to press him and knock him off the route, did not get it done, and Mc- Edwards Hilaire ran right by him. Mahomes dropped the, dropped the ball in there like it was a bucket, from 30 feet three-pointer, and hit him exactly. It, was, it didn't even have to be that good, though, uh, for a big gain. In this game, McKissick um, you know, had him badly beaten off the line of scrimmage, but Queen was too far back. You know, he, he, He's either got to be off coverage or press coverage where he's going to get on his, get his hands on that receiver and disrupt his route, and that's what I really didn't like about it. Is he, didn't, he didn't really make an effort to get McKissick um, off the timing of the route when, you know, the Ravens had an opportunity to rush the quarterback on that play. Yeah, I'm not really sure what was going through his head on that play because, like you said, he was lined up over him at the snap. It wasn't quite like the Clyde Edwards-Hilaire player play where the running back in that instance was coming in motion. That's and he right. had to kind of match him as he was moving out towards the wide receiver position. Um, he tried to jam the receiver in that instance, and he missed. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe he thought that was something that he's not going to be able to do, so he didn't go for the jam in here. But he also just didn't do a good job of, you know, staying in shit and with the receiver at all. He just kind of let him run past him and, like, didn't really know what to do. So that's the kind of play that I'm concerned about. There were other plays in, in zone coverage as well where he didn't seem to be knowing where his, his drop was supposed to be. Those are also concerning. Um, but there's, you know, some good things you see, but on coverage snaps, if he's getting a lot of, I'm not sure how you keep playing him out there. Yeah, it's it's a that's it's a problem, and it means maybe he's not the guy you have out there on third down for starters. I think he's really hurting the team there. They didn't have him on the field the entire time on third down. He's definitely an a, you know a Mike linebacker that's in there for at least two downs, but he played a fair amount of the game. He played two two third downs on the first series. Uh, he did miss it on the on the third series they didn't have one on the second he missed it on the fourth series so if you go through the game he, he's out he's taken off the field for a number of third downs so it's not like the Ravens are not aware of this but he's still out there for some as well and you know what we've seen I mean it's there's a multitude of errors I, I lifted a, listed a lot of them in my defensive article but Peters tried to move him once he didn't move and then there's a pass 
a, a screen pass right for 18 yards that happened. He, there was a crossing route where he decided to follow Isaiah Wright, right? But it's, you know, it, it's, it's a four-wide zone underneath, and Ford, of course, is going after him after the play and talking to him with his hands up and has words with him, gives him a low five, moves him on, but there's just too damn many of these. Bunch coverage. He doesn't seem to be able to negotiate that at the at the line of scrimmage. So, we, you know, multitude of individual problems, but, you know, he's he's clearly just does not really understand how to play coverage at this point. We saw, we've seen other good elements of the game, but the coverage element, you know, it just it's just, I, I don't know how he'll learn this, if he doesn't actually get to play, I don't think practice is going to do it as well. Yeah, that's the issue, um, obviously, when you draft a rookie linebacker. I think there's always going to be some learning curves when it comes to especially coverage because that's the mm-hmm. thing that is most complex in the NFL game. And you have to know what you're doing every single time or you're going to be targeted by the other team. And I think that's going to start to happen. I think you know teams are going to see him as someone you can go after, and you're going to design specifically how to attack him, and that's not something I, I think the Ravens are going to want to have to deal with. Right. I, I mean, I agree. I think there's there's kind of three levels to this. The first is like understanding what your responsibilities are in the passing game, and when I say that, I mean only the in front of you responsibilities of I'm in zone, I'm in shallow zone, you know, in the second quarter over of this first level. Here's what I do to take a guy out of my zone, hand him off, and and then return to my zone kind of thing. He he definitely does not get that yet. Or he or he doesn't he doesn't follow it, <laughs> follow through on it on a play by play basis. I, the, the second is recognition, where he's getting out quickly enough in terms of a screen pass to say race that guy down on the outside. And the third is the one that all, a lot of inside linebackers never get is really understanding route combinations that are happening behind you without having to look back and see what's going on, because obviously if you do that you're dead. Yeah, that last one in particular, there's another play that I'm thinking about in this game where I think it was a, a play action where he bit pretty heavily and then McLaurin got behind him for, for a, I guess it was like right. a skinny post, picked up about 17 yards. It was actually a play he got hurt on. Yes. Um, but he was running like, where am I look, like looking for something to pick up? He was turned away from the play, uh-huh. just trying to like find somebody. And he, was, he just looked like he didn't have any idea what was going on. It's literally, he was flailing his long arms up in the hair, air, running directly down the seam. And it, it was just, it was a very weird sort of a play. I have it noted on another place. I didn't actually, I actually charged that target to Elliot, but, uh, but it was, it was, you know, it looked like Queen had a responsibility on that play that did not get fulfilled. Yeah, it looked kind of like he was supposed to be playing that deep middle, maybe like a Tampa 2 kind of situation, and he just wasn't there. And that, I mean, part of it was he was out of position from the play action fake, but then he just didn't trust himself or he didn't know his responsibility and he kind of just like looked like he wanted to pretend like he was doing something <laughs> making mistakes at 100 miles an hour we, we, we've heard that he doesn't make the same mistake twice i didn't realize that meant he needs to go through and check the box of making every mistake <laughs> once because you know that that didn't follow logically for me but I, I'm, I'm with you i think that it's going to be very difficult for him to play every down i already thought that was going to be difficult and i i never believed for a second he was going to get the green dot but right now it looks like he could be he could never he might never get the green dot he certainly it, it might be a while then the other side of me says this guy is such so athletically gifted we've seen so many splash plays i i want to think the glass is half full and that he's going to be a hell of a player once he learns how to play football that's definitely my hope. He has the athletic talent. And I think when he 
well, at least I hope that when he gets more comfortable in the defense, more comfortable with the NFL game, that it will just come naturally and he will be that player who you feel comfortable with in every phase. And like I said before, I think the, the rookie linebacker is, is one of these just kind of guessing games. You don't know what you're going to get. A lot of them just aren't ready when they get into the NFL game. They're not acquainted with the speed. They're not acquainted with the different concepts. And it's, it's always a huge learning curve. It's kind of like the tight end, I would say, on the offensive side of the position. You have a lot of things you're tasked to doing, and a lot of them just don't do much as a rookie. I think the linebacker is, is probably one of the hardest positions to learn when you're a rookie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I certainly agree. One of the problems with him specifically is that he's been so far above the best athlete at every level of football he's played. So certainly, even in high school, it wouldn't have mattered what he did. He was so much a better athlete than everybody – Run, hit, and that's what, you know, he's always see ball, run the ball, you know, destroy ball carrier, or do the same thing on the offensive side of the ball with the ball as a running back. Goes to Alabama. They insert him at middle linebacker. Not right away, by the way. He had to wait a long time to get, to get his role. But when he's in there, he's around 10 other NFL players on that Alabama defense. And so he still has got a roaming ability. Yeah, I think that's what the Ravens were kind of hoping, that he would just have this natural ability to get in around a talented defense and just kind of be able to guy who could, like, see and hit, like, see and run it down, you know, be able to run down and play sideline to sideline. Hope that he has some instincts and coverage. Because I think in, in college he looked pretty decent in coverage, but I think he also wasn't given very many assignments. He, he wasn't given a lot of different responsibilities in that. So it's really hard to project him. And the Ravens obviously took a chance on him, and, you know, we're still hoping that it's going to pan out. I think it's too early to say it won't, but for this year at least, my expectations are not high. All righty. Let's move on. We've we've beaten on the guy a little bit much. And, I, you know, we got to say something positive about him. I mean, great, great game in terms of taking his run defense next level because we really hadn't seen it in the first three weeks. And he, he – Gambled on some gaps, did a great job of getting the backfield, but I also saw on one play, he was on the backside of the run, contained it well, and took it down for a one-yard loss. And that's the play I'm more impressed by than a lot of his other gap shooting, getting the backfield, because that's just, you know, C-run hit kind of stuff that has less in the way of football IQ associated with it. Yeah, I thought there was one play in particular. I think it was actually the play right before the uh, fumble um, by Humphrey, where he... um, kind of didn't bite on the on the way the play was. I think it was like a, a wide zone that was going to the left, and then the running mm-hmm. back cut back, and there was a tight end who was there to kind of take out the defender, and he, you know, kind of sidestepped the tight end and was able to make a, a stop for a, a loss. Or maybe it wasn't a loss. It was a gain of one yard or something. But I think he showed discipline there, and I think that was the kind of play that you want to see from him as, as a run defender. Um, so I think that's a positive. You know, he obviously had that goal line stand play where he showed off his athleticism, there's a few plays, like you mentioned, that he looked good in run defense, but he also um, obviously has a negative place too. So hope, hopefully they will see more positives moving forward. All right, fair enough. Let's talk packages in this game. Ravens uh, used a fairly Spartan number of packages. One of my theories is that they really had a limited number of threats to deal with in this game. They had Antonio Gibson. Uh, you know, They put Gibson and McKissick on the field together a fair amount. We're two running backs. Kind of is a pony, except it's not a pony. You don't have to treat it like a pony because it's it's really just 11 personnel where Antonio or McKissick, one of those two is really going to be a wide receiver on those plays. And he really never lined them both up in the backfield. Yeah, I think it definitely gives the Redskins some options. But you know, I think the Ravens just pretty much 
treated them one of them as a wide receiver um, mm-hmm. with their package selection. So they didn't really affect them and how they would play it. Um, I think one of the things that I found interesting, and this is getting back to Queen in terms of packages, was that the Ravens, like you mentioned, took him off the field on a lot of the third and mediums, third and longs, and they actually used a dime package that had two defensive linemen and three three outside linebackers. Um, that's what that's what I noticed at least, and that was something that I thought was a mostly successful package for them, but it had that one long play that went against it too. Right. So they had they played in this game. They played twenty two dime snaps, and the one you're talking about. Um, is one inside linebacker, three outside linebackers, one DL. That's what you mean, right? I was thinking it was two defensive linemen and no okay. inside linebackers. But maybe they I did, missed something. They did play a race car with four outside linebackers and one defensive lineman. And the definition I'm making there is that Ward is very much an outside linebacker. Cause that's... So I, I just I want to always agree when people come on this show that we're going to call Ward an outside linebacker because okay. that's the only place he lands up uh, lines up is standing outside linebacker when you're not sure if the other team is going to run or pass. Like Ferguson, like McPhee, like other outside linebackers, he kicks into the inside on some passing downs and goes into three-point stance. But the fact that the Ravens have him listed as the defensive end on the roster is a fraud. That's not where he plays, and he's he's never really done that for the Ravens. I felt like in this game he actually did play a little bit defensive end. I think he started in their base package, but I might be wrong about that. Because no, I, I, I watch it every snap. I'm sorry. I don't, <laughs> want, to, I don't want to contradict you, but I, believe me, I'd be right on it if, okay. I, if I really saw him in that, in that situation. Anyway, one of the things about the dime package that, that, that came in, they, had, they played 17 of these standard dimes and five race car dimes. I'm sorry to contradict you, buddy. I don't like to do that well, on the show. Of course. You, I mean, you're the one who's the, the, the <laughs> But uh, Campbell was forced to play 22 snaps. He took he had to play all 22 of those dime snaps because Wolf wasn't there, and yeah. Wolf would normally have taken a number of those dime snaps from him as a lone lineman. And honestly, it led to a little bit of overwork there for Campbell, uh, which was one of the fears about this game starting out the way they did. They were shorted a lot of positions on defense. Yeah, that's the problem when you have probably two of your top five defensive tackles who can't suit up. So you have. Matt of BK, who we haven't seen yet, but I think mm-hmm. he's a player who we'd like to see in these kind of situations. And obviously, Wolf as well. He'd been pretty heavily used um, in kind of the third down pass rush um, package as well. So, Ravens didn't really have someone else who they trusted, I think, to be that interior pass rusher. And it's pretty much just landed on Campbell. Right. I mean, they have all jumbo guys otherwise. So, it's Ellis, Williams, and Washington. Three guys who are fairly round, and none of them great pass rushers. Williams was used a little bit in that race car package last year as the lone guy over the center. Wasn't terrible in the role, but Campbell's obviously going to be a lot better. And it was interesting because they lined up Campbell on the outside of some of those formations. They like to line Campbell up basically at right outside the tackle. Not necessarily in the most outside player, but a lot of if they had Judon standing up, they had Campbell often on the end of the line of scrimmage then. So, I mean, that's basically your five-technique position, which then mm-hmm. I think can allow your your outside linebacker to have kind of like a wide wide nine almost kind of lane to get to the passer, which definitely I think Judon took advantage of a couple times in this one. Maybe not directly next to Campbell, but he, he had some nice rushes off the edge in this game, I thought. Right. And def- there definitely were some unblocked edges in this game with the way the Ravens lined up and, and even stacked some people inside. Um, we'll talk a little bit about the pass rush in a minute. Let me just see if there's any other. Yeah, I mean, I did want to talk about the shortages on personnel because the Ravens really wanted this game short at safety. So they had Jimmy Smith. Elliott obviously got hurt. 
Smith was then forced into full-time duty at safety, but the Ravens only had him and Clark at that point, and the Ravens use a lot of dime, which involves a third safety. And so instead of that, on that first series, unfortunately, Elliott was able to return, they had to bring in Chris Board and use him as a safety on both of those third downs. Unusual package. I don't think we'll see it as, again. It's an out-of-necessity package that the Ravens used in this one. Yeah, it's really a, a concern, I think, moving forward. I know people think cornerback depth is problematic and edge rusher. I think safety is probably the biggest depth concern on the team. And obviously, when you when you get rid of someone like Earl Thomas that's, and not replace him with anyone, that's going to cause a little bit of a void. We also haven't seen the rookie Geno Stone active in any games mm-hmm. yet. So I'm hoping that maybe eventually they'll they'll have Stone in there. Um, I guess they don't trust Richards as someone who can play anything other than special teams for them either. So if the Ravens were to go out and get anybody, I would think it should be a safety or maybe a safety kind of nickel, uh, nickel slots cornerback hybrid position player. Right. That's and that's definitely possible. There are guys out there who who are available. King and and Ryan might be guys who could be acquired for for just that purpose um the Ravens in this game Anthony Levine was active but they didn't want to play him on defense obviously because they put Chris Board in the game as the third safety that tells you right there they're they're not comfortable putting him in at dime back and I think that's an ongoing abdomen problem in mispractice to me if you're ready to go you're ready to go if you're not you know I think the Ravens have been better activating Nigel Warrior from the practice squad for this game you know, bringing someone else or activating Stone. I mean, he must have practiced with the team. He must be able to do some of the things they want a safety to do, right? Yeah, I think I have to think that you're a little, they're a little concerned about Stone at this point. I'm not sure why he. I mean, I guess they see something in him in terms of potential where they wouldn't have, you know, had him on the 53 man roster. But at some point, when you don't have the depth there and he's just being an inactive scratch every single week, you have to question what he's doing on your roster. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a fair thing. I mean, you have extra roster spots this year, but as the inert matter builds up on the roster and they have to make, start making some harder IR decisions, I mean, honestly, the IR decisions aren't that hard this year because they're just three-week IR decisions. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Stone is a guy, I think, the, re- the reason they're keeping him around is that he's been highly graded by a couple of sources, with PFF being the obvious one, who had him as the 53rd best player in the whole draft. No one believes that. No one believes it for a second. But they do believe this is a guy who has some good ball instincts and can probably play on the back end at least as a split and and would make sense to take a gamble on. And the Ravens really want to be the team to make that gamble on him. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, keep him on the roster. Maybe you get to see something in, it, in practice that gives you trust that he can actually be an active game day starter eventually. I'm not sure if that's going to happen this year, especially given the fact that they kind of need help at the position and he's not coming up yet. But mm-hmm. I definitely hope that, you know, there is something in there that maybe not this year, but we'll see in the future because it's unfortunate that, you know, you keep him around the roster, but then don't ever give him a chance. And I think these are the per- perfect opportunities where you could give him a chance. All these games, you know, you're up two, three scores. You can put him in there for, you know, the last couple of drives and see what he can do. So I'd, I'd like to see maybe at some point – him just being active, let him play some special teams, and let him come in and play a few snaps at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, they also didn't put Jordan Richards on the field. You made the point. So anyway, obviously playing shorthanded was an issue in this game for the Ravens. And I, you know, I, I don't ever like going into a game where you have only seven defensive backs to make six spots, and I'm not including Levine and Richards because they were obviously not willing to use either of them. So they brought in Khalil Dorsey at the end of this, gives up the 39-yard play. 
I don't know where they were on using him. They activated him from the practice squad, so it's one of two usages. But it's it seems to me like they weren't wild about getting him into the game, which tells me they probably should have had another safety active. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And maybe they just wanted to see what he would look like in a few live snaps. Um, because, you know, this is one of those players that you might have gotten a little bit of, you know, tape on in, in the preseason, but you know, that obviously didn't happen. So maybe they're just going to rotate some of these back end of the roster players and see what they look like. All right. All right, well, let's move on. We'll talk a little bit about the, about the pass rush, uh, having hit on that. Um, one of the problems for me in this game was that Haskins got ample time and space on 20 of 48 dropbacks, which is a high, a high percentage for today's game, 42%. But more than that, I think it was a reflection of the fact that Martindale really called off the dogs in this game pretty much entirely. Decided, let's play a game of contain Haskins. He's, he tries to get the ball out quickly anyway, but he'll also make his own unforced errors. For us. And unfortunately, this was a game, honestly, where Haskins didn't make a big unforced error during this game. Yeah, I mean, he didn't really do anything that was overly impressive. Most of his passes were, you know, 10, 15 yards down the field at, at the most. So he wasn't really, you know, stretching the field at all. I think he maybe threw two or three balls over 20 yards the entire game. Um, so I think that was probably acceptable to, to the Ravens. And they decided, like you said, to not be very exotic with their with their game plan they just kind of played very vanilla they did a lot more four-man rush especially in the second half of the game than than what i've seen um out of them really for the past you know year since, since martindale is year and a half since martindale has been you know dc so i'm not entirely sure if it was just we don't think he can beat us so we're not going to really do too much i was expecting them to kind of go after him because i thought you know he could have a big day with by blitzing him and he's, he's going to make, make a lot of mistakes and know we force some turnovers get a bunch of sacks but apparently they're content to kind of let him you know not hurt them by just being the way he is so yeah very much so and and i think there's three stats from next gen which really kind of paint this picture in a different light you mentioned that he didn't he didn't throw much down the field his average depth of completion 3.2 yards from the line of scrimmage now that does include some screen passes. So there were some negative numbers in there, but it's it's still it's three point two yards. His average intended air yards four point seven, lowest in the entire National Football League, League in Week Four, and his time to throw, and this is a big one, was only two point four two seconds. Lamar was over three three point oh three seconds. It's a big difference between the two. Haskins was tied for the second fastest time to delivery. Um, with Kyler Murray, only Brian Hoyer in tonight's game was faster. So it's it's a uh, uh, that 2.42. That's not a good thing, by the way. That means he's having to check down, dump off, get get the ball out of his hands very quickly. Um, in his case, it's not because he's surgically taking apart the Ravens like Mahomes did the Texans in Week One. It's he needs to get rid of the ball quickly because of who he is. Yeah, and a lot of those were designed, you know. There's a lot of screenplays. It was just basically, you know, quick drop, get the ball out. And that happened, I would say, probably a third of his dropbacks. There was, was a, some kind of screen either to, a lot of times, to the wide receiver or running back lined up as a wide receiver. Um, and then a lot of quick slants, too. And that was pretty much all he tried to do. And I think the Ravens were okay with that. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you're better off not sending the house, obviously, if they're going to screen all day on you. That makes would make sense, I think, to everyone. But they had... Eight screen passes in this game, and that wasn't 
at all the, the whole of it because they had a number of non-screen flare-out passes, whether it's to the running back or the wide receivers you kind of mentioned. But they also had a bunch of these shallow crosses that, you know, they saw what, how the Chiefs picked the Ravens apart, and they tried to duplicate a lot of that. A lot of rub route concepts, a lot of bunch pick concepts coming right off the line of scrimmage. So they had success with that. They really didn't go down the field very much at all in this game. And, and you know, obviously you mentioned that earlier, but I just, you know, kind of wanted to throw some other uh, metrics and, and, uh, and pass types around that. Yeah, and, and that was why I wasn't really concerned with, with the Ravens, you know, pass rush. It, I think they actually were okay in, in the pass rush. They were able to get some pressure, pressures. They got, you know, a few quarterback hits. They had, I think, yeah, three sacks in the game. So, three sacks. And, you know, two of them were, like, really quick sacks. And the, the third one was, was Ferguson. That was a big one at the end of one of that long sustained drive that, that the Washington football team had. Um and that one was just a four-man rush where he just beat his man and, and Haskins was holding on to the ball. So I think that, you know, I think the coverage held up pretty well. They didn't let anything over the top, and they just allowed the, uh, Haskins to throw the underneath stuff. And I think for the most part, it, you know, the Ravens were able to rally to the ball, keep any completion short. Um, obviously, there was that one screenplay that, that went awry, but mm-hmm. aside from that, that, that. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. element of the game was pretty much contained as well. Well, they, they got on, in this game, I thought the screens were a problem. On those eight plays, they averaged 10.3 yards per play. And the 40 is a big part of that, but it's not the only part of it. They gave up an 18-yard screen. They gave up another one that was about 10. So it wasn't just maybe one another for 11 as well. So it wasn't just that one play, but, but I agree it was a lot that one play. There is some detail on the screens in my defensive article if people want to go out there, see what went awry. What I focused on was what the um, – I won't keep on calling them the Redskins. The Washington football team did in terms of very consistently to the edge defender. The edge defender on the screen side is one of the two diagnosis guys who has to figure it out if you're going to have a good chance. They cut block that guy every single time. They tried to cut block the uh, that defender. Then the other guy is the inside linebacker on that side who has a good chance. And Washington otherwise blocked those up very well. I was very impressed with how well their receivers and tight ends blocked for those screens on the outside. Yeah, I, I agree. And this was one of the uh, the 40-yard uh, screenplay, for instance, was one that we highlighted in, in our Situation Room podcast. And I thought that was one of the most well-designed screens I've, I've ever seen. Um, they had you know players isolated on the other side of the field to take them away from the action. They had, you know, a perfectly timed play where they had basically five Ravens just like rushing after the passer, and then the balls just dropped behind them and blockers out front, and it was it was just green grass in front of Gibson for for years because there was basically one player who had a chance at him, and that was Anthony Averett, and he had two blockers coming down at him, mm-hmm. and he really didn't have a chance to make a play there. I thought he gave a good effort, um, but overall that was that was extremely well designed, and you know, you know the Ravens called the wrong play at the wrong time to cover it, but they were able to keep him out of the end zone, at least on that one. But I think, like you said, the, the rest 
Washington football team um, <laughs> just did, did a great job of, of blocking these, these, these screen plays up. And I think that the defensive line for the Ravens maybe could have gotten a little better at it. I think Bowser sniffed out one really well for a tackle mm-hmm. for loss. But aside from that, they kind of didn't do a great job. Um, but I, I think for the most part, if you can, if that's the best offense that the other teams want to throw at you, then you're doing an okay job on defense. Yeah, it, it it certainly could be worse, and and all you need to do is make them pay with some of the variation that's inherent in screen passes. Like, if the one lateral play had gone awry, if Judon tips that ball, and you know obviously it's a live ball at that point, that was either going to be an enormous loss or a big turnover, one of the two. I really credit Judon for a great play on that, by the way. Yeah, it looked like he was just like an inch away from getting getting a finger on that one. That's and, a but he, play. And he, but he, at, at the minimum. He forced that lateral to be made risky at, at, because he forced it to be made backwards. If it's off target, you get a either minimum big loss or or again a recovery on that play. Yeah, and I think he got he I think he got his hand on another pass as well, and and yep. was able to that one. That wasn't a screen, but it was a you know a short slant. Um, so he, I think he was very active in this game. He impressed me a lot. Yeah, good game from you. Want to talk some individual players? Talk, talk more about Judon, maybe, or, or why don't you pick one and I'll pick one. We'll go in that order. Yeah, we can start with Judon. Um, I think that Judon had, I mean, obviously he had two sacks, so those those are nice to see. He hadn't had a sack previously to this one in the season, so you know, we all know that sacks are kind of random. They come and go, but Judon's been getting the pressures, I would say, all, all year, but he didn't really get the sack. This time he got two. He had a couple other quarterback hits, I think. He had the pass deflection. Um, I think that's probably his strength um, is, is still rushing the passer. His, his run defense is a little spotty at times. He can get, you know, pushed off. But, um, you know, I thought overall he played a very good game. Yeah, I, I was very positive on it. Great to see it. Five total quarterback hits in the game, two sacks plus three other quarterback hits. What I don't like sometimes is when a player beats the same guy like a drum and he figures it out, and then that pads, pads a lot of his stats for the season. I'd, I'd prefer if that weren't the case, if, unless he's you know, a naturally gifted pass rusher who can beat everybody, then that's fine. But in this game, he beat Moses twice outside. He's obviously much more than a match for Moses' foot speed. That's a right tackle for the Redskins. I've forgotten his first name. Might also begin with an M. I think it's Morgan. Morgan Moses. Okay. I think. Maybe I made that up. <laughs> he might have made it up. That's all right. I don't have it here anyway. I don't have the Washington team. Yes, I do. We'll take a quick look. Everybody reaches for their drink for a second. You're right. It's Morgan Moses. Very good. All right. Out of Virginia, so, I believe. All right. Like, that must be true because you got the Morgan part right. So <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I, I really like what, what you Don did in this game as well. Uh, the, the knockdown pass was, was part of it. Um, you know, I, we needed such a big statement pass rush game from him that uh, that I was happy he delivered it in some way. He did actually beat the left tackle as well for one of the quarterback hits, but uh, he had one unblocked rush and then three where he beat Moses. So uh, is it is it redefining where he is this season? Maybe not, but he also had a, had a sack taken away on a BS offsides call against the Chiefs. So I was, you know, I'm more sanguine about where he is right now as a pass rusher in, in 2020 than, than I think a lot of other people are. Yeah, I feel like he's been the same player this year as he has been for the past, I guess, the year or two years. Um, 
he's a he's a good pass rusher. He mainly doesn't have that quite elite, you know, burst off the edge. Um, but I think for what he brings to this Ravens team, um, kind of his ability to move around the formation, rush from different alignments, dropping the coverage a little bit, I think he's he's going to be an asset this year. I mean, moving forward, we don't know, but I think that he's definitely going to be you know, a linchpin to the Ravens' success. If, 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 and depending on how far they get, he's definitely going to be a key to that. All right, how about I pick this next player? I want to talk about LJ Fort. How about him? I thought, uh, you know, another another really good game. He's been very consistent for the Ravens. Obviously, he's making some big plays this year, which is great. But there's something else he's doing is he's effectively an on-field handler for Queen, where he has to do a lot of the mentoring and positioning. I think it's everybody's kind of responsible for it. But, you know, I saw Peters reposition him on a play. I saw Fort reposition him twice. Uh, you know, Fort talked to him twice after the play. Marlon Humphrey and Averett each talked to him after the play. Uh, but but I, I like what Fort has done in terms of taking that responsibility. And it's really kind of amazing because Fort has now had – he's been in the league for now for nine years. He, he was a rookie in 2012. He's played one full season of defensive snaps almost exactly in his entire career. And yet he's by such leaps and bounds the veteran who really understands defense among this inside linebacker core that otherwise has Board and Alaka and Queen and Harrison. Yeah, Fort's career is fairly remarkable. You know, he's your quintessential journeyman before he, he got to Baltimore. And for whatever reason, he never stuck. I think, you know, he had a few years or maybe just a year in Pittsburgh where he, he played pretty well. He was able to get a contract in Philadelphia and, and then they released him, I think, at the beginning of the season and the Ravens scooped him up and they obviously had played against him. They knew what he was capable of doing um, and they plugged him in right away and and they reaped the benefits of that. You know, they got him that extension last year, which I thought was a great move. And he, he's proven that it, to show that he can actually be, you know, a starting caliber um, player in, in the NFL. And I think that Patrick Queen doesn't kind of improve. Um, his his role is going to move to Ford. And I think that's going to be the player who takes most of the snaps. Because right now Ford is still kind of a part-time player. You know, he plays basically like 50, 60% of the snaps, I think. Um, and Queen plays probably about, you know, 80 to 90%. And I think it could be a time when those those two roles are reversed. Right. Just it's what it is right now is that is that Queen is the Mike and they don't want to try and teach him another position, which is good because he hasn't learned his first position yet. So they're they're using when Queen is on the field, which is obviously most of the time, they they use him or Fort or Harrison as the will. And they almost never were on the field together. Now they Queen was injured in this game and they both were on the field together a little bit, but basically that hasn't hasn't happened very much. In my opinion, that's kind of stunting Harrison's development. So the relationship between Fort and Queen that exists means that Harrison can't really get on the field very much with Queen because the team doesn't really want to risk it. Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but honestly, you drafted Harrison in the third round, and if he starts showing that he's a more capable defender on, on passing downs, maybe he should be the guy who's, who's staying in there. And, and okay, I understand that you want to give Queen you know, this one responsibility to have him learn it. But if he doesn't learn it, then you just have to start playing your two best players. Right. But they, since they only play one inside linebacker or zero in the dime, there's the two options. They, it can be Ford every time. 
That's There's true. no reason why, why they can't do that. The question is really on rundowns. Are, do, do you want to split that time now between Queen and Harrison at the mic? And, and you know, Harrison's built like a mic. No reason not to do it. But would you? is that where you'd go, Gabe, or would you hold him back and you'd try and keep him at the will spot? Since if they're going to play together for years, he'll probably be a will. So, honestly, I would start playing Harrison more because I think that Harrison also gives you the ability to play him in coverage. And, you know, rundowns are traditionally, you know, first and second down in the NFL, but teams are passing 70% of the time, and a lot of those traditional rundowns are now becoming passing downs, and that's where you're getting exposed in coverage a little bit. So I think it makes sense to maybe, you know, give Harrison some mic reps. And like you said, he is more built for that position anyway. I think he's more of a thumper. He can definitely um, be more physical at the line of scrimmage, taking on blocks, and then you can have Queen as the will, who's who's more of a kind of get around the block kind of guy, you know, knife through and, and clean up um, as other players yeah. take on and, and pursuit as other players take on the block. So I feel like that's a more natural pairing of, of these two players, and I, maybe it's too hard of a shift to make in the middle of the season, but it's something that I think could definitely benefit the defense. Yeah, it's it is a very it's kind of a strange thing because it it makes so much more sense from a physical standpoint that Harrison would be the Mike and that and that Queen would be the Will, but it doesn't make sense from a draft capital standpoint. You spent your first round pick on Queen, he damn well better be the guys in there for 100% of the snaps and that's the Mike. So if you, you know, you could make it so that he's like Lardarius Webb was where he would play outside corner and then he'd move to the nickel when they put in a third corner. But that means he has to learn both positions. And, you know, there are plenty of corners are able to do that. You know, obviously, Queen can't learn his first position, so he's not ready to learn his second position. So that, that idea is out the window for right now. But, hey, anyway, we've beaten on Queen enough. This was, I was supposed <laughs> to be a discussion about Ford. Pick another guy. We'll talk about him. What do you say? <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's talk about Anthony Averitt. Um, he's, he's another player. You know, we, we talked about him before the season started. And... We talked about him and, and his, his kind of role as a reserve cornerback for, for the Ravens. And um, we didn't know how much time he would see on the field because the Ravens were deep at cornerback. <laughs> well, um, well, when you lose your starting nickel cornerback, you're not, you're not so deep anymore. And then when your other cornerback starts playing safety, then you're even thinner at cornerback. So Averitt has played a decent number of snaps because of his injuries. And I think he's actually played pretty well. You know, we, we talked about his physical tools. He has good speed. Um, he has good quickness. And I think there's still a little bit of kind of like spatial awareness that he lacks. Um, but that's something that, you know, we saw in Marlon Humphrey when he was a young player too. And, and he kind of developed that and got better at that as he got more reps. And I think Averitt has the potential to be a starting caliber cornerback in this league. He has size, the speed, the tools. Um, and now that he's getting the reps, I think he's he's – you know, played pretty well. He hasn't been exposed in coverage as much as some people would expect him to. And I think he's someone that the Ravens can actually count on to continue you know, playing pretty well in, in that position. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I First of all, I thought he had a, had a fine game this week. There, there are obviously some screen pass situations where he was blocked effectively, but that's part of the scheme is you block your smaller corner with a tight end or a bigger wide receiver and you usually have a big blocking advantage. It's not unexpected. What I thought he did do quite well is cover this game and I thought he's done that well so far this year I'm not not at all worried about him having having him out there at the third corner third corner and the one play that looked really really cool was he crossed behind three inside linebacker types now one of them happened to be Clark but it was I think it was Clark board and and 
probably had to be, if it was Clark and Boyd, it probably had to be Fort was the other one. But he crossed behind those guys, so it might not have been Queen on the field at the time, and all the way to the right sideline and made a pass defense on the ball to McLaurin, was it he was covering? Really hard route to cover. Really hard route to stick with. And he, he, he was there the whole way and got the, and got the PD. Yeah, that was a that was a great play, and it just shows his ability to stick with the man. He's got that kind of intuitive stick-to-itiveness, I guess you would say, for for a cornerback. He has that ability to mirror, and he has a quickness that he can stick with players, you know, with, through the breaks around traffic. And that's something that not everybody can can have. And I think he's also an interesting player because when he went to Alabama, he was actually recruited as a wide receiver, and then they changed him to a cornerback because you know they they didn't need him to play wide receiver. They needed cornerback depth and so he's really a little late in the development as a cornerback so I think that seeing that over his time as a Raven this is his third year now Mm -hmm. he's starting to develop more and more and he's starting to fill into his you know physical traits and actually gain the coverage skills and I think that's something that um is useful moving forward And, and he might be a player that the Ravens could consider you know keeping long term or at least for like a two to three year extension well, that, that's really the, that's really be the question is you know he's signed for one more year. It's not he's not a RFA next year because he was a draft pick originally. So they could extend him early this winter, or they could extend him during the season next year, and get a you know hopefully a, a fairly budget conscious move. But if they were to, if they were to say get him a three year extension for ten million right now, would would you be on board with that? And and that means basically. He plays next year, then gets extended for three more for $10 million total. I would be 100% on board with that. I think that would be a great contract for the Ravens. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the kind of thing they do. Obviously, gives him security for life. It just it makes sense in so many ways. If you're Anthony Avery, I think you got to take it. I, I don't know how you turn something like that down. I mean, you look at LJ Ford on the same team and how hard yeah. he has to work to make that kind of money. He'll never, he, he will never make that much money lifetime, frankly. But, uh, anyway. Uh, great. Uh, you, you picked Anthony Averett, right? How about Elliot mm-hmm. in the game here? I, I, I'll tell you what I liked about him. I liked that we are finally seeing some of the back-end range that we had seen during the preseason, but never really during the regular season yet. You know, just, just a snip here, snip there, but he was actually on the back end of the bracket. One play I'm thinking of is the really bad play by Queen that let McKissick out. It was the intimidation of Elliot showing up with the bracket, on the back end of that. It was a pretty, pretty loose bracket, we'd have to say. He was late to the ball, but it, it, it seemed like McKissick did not extend and a little bit alligator-armed the play in order to avoid that, con- that potential contact with Elliott. Absolutely. That was, that was the play that I was thinking of, too, as soon as you, you mentioned the word range, because he was coming from the single high position, and he you know, diagnosed the play, and he was there to make a play if, if McKissick had you know, actually... If it was a slightly better thrown ball, uh, I think Elliott would have been there to break it up. And he's, he's shown flashes at before. Um, I wasn't sure if he would be able to consistently make that kind of play, but that's something that obviously is still you know in his breadbasket. And I think that moving forward, if, you, if he can be a guy you can trust in, in that single high, um, I like him, for instance, a lot better than Clark back there. I think he has better range than Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, a position that he's going to do really well in. And there's another play that I thought he played well where he, you know, actually he hurt himself, but he, he came flying down on that. Was it a screen or a, a short completion that um, it was very early in the game where he got, where he got injured and he just flew in and, and took the, the receiver out. Um, 
but that I look, was the... I'm looking at the play he got hurt here. See, that was the fourth play of the game. It was an incomplete pass. I couldn't tell you much else about it other than that. I have to look at the game book. I was thinking it was a play that he had cleaned up on where there's a guy who was running down the sideline and he came and gave a big hit and finished the tackle, but he got a little shaken up on it. Um, but I thought that was another example of that's exactly what you want to see from your safety. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who can come down and, and lay a big hit on, on somebody. And we saw that, I think, in week one, too. You know, he's, he's definitely not shy about, about, you know, laying the lumber. Right. Yeah, he's, he's been he's exceeded my expectations of what it could be. I was hopeful that he'd be a, a good back-end player and kind of a vulture. I don't know that he's 100% lived up to any of the ball hawking as yet. I'm trying to think if he's had a forced fumble or a fumble recovery. But what he, what he has done, he's shown a little bit of range. He's definitely shown he's a hell of a hitter. I mean, to the point where I would almost like him to retract that part of his game a little bit to stay healthy. Yeah, I wouldn't be upset to see that either. Although, you know, it, it is nice to always see those kind of hits as a, as a fan. <laughs> um, but, but I think you know, one thing that I would say I've been pleasantly surprised about as well I, I don't think he's been out of position. You know, yeah. somebody who's never been a starter, sometimes they are constantly out of position. I'm thinking back to, you know, Matt Elam, <laughs> somebody who was always out of position. And this is someone who is, you know, I think it was a fifth round pick, sixth round pick. Six. Who hasn't played barely at all. And he's basically in a brand new role. I mean, he's been in the, the room, but you never know what you're going to get from him. And he's come in and he's done his job exceedingly well. So I'm, I'm extremely pleased with how Elliot has performed this year. It's a great point, by the way, Gabe, is, is you get with, with, if you're an outside corner, it's kind of hard to mess it up. It's like messing up a hamburger that you're cooking on a grill. It's, it's really hard to do. But if you're, if, you're, if you're a safety, they have all sorts of complex responsibilities. There's, you might come up, you might have to blitz, you might have to be in the box, you might, you know, all of those things. You know, you've you got multiple coverage situations. With all the man play you have at corner, it's, it's a much easier position not to screw up. It still can be done. You can mess up some sort of zone coverage, cover three like Peters did against Hardman. But it, it doesn't really happen nearly as often. All right, you want right. to take one more player and we'll, and yeah. we'll each... Yeah, I think we kind of have to talk about Marlon Humphrey, right? I think he was he made the play of the game probably um, early on in, in the end of the first quarter where he obviously forced a fumble that led to you know a touchdown and got the Ravens on the board, kind of shifted you know the momentum a little bit. The game was kind of stagnant up until that point. There wasn't much going on, and, and that was, you know... An, just the kind of quick change offense that the Ravens got in the opponent territory, it would have scored a touchdown really quick. Um, and he does this thing that we've seen so many times from him, where he is always going to make the play. He's always going to try and knock the ball out. I think he had another play in this game where he almost knocked the ball out, didn't quite get it out, or jostled it loose, but the guy was able to maintain possession of it. Um, I thought he did a really good job in coverage. You know, he's playing the slot corner for the Ravens. That's a, it's a very difficult role. Uh-huh. Um, and he's just continue to impress and obviously he just got that big contract and he just came out and had a great game yeah I, I i love everything about his game i love the fact they did not blitz him in this game he's still being disadvantaged by playing at slot corner it really showed up in the number of times he was targeted in this game our we, we keep a, a target sheep separate seat separate he was up i want to say like 13 targets in this game 
which you wouldn't challenge Marlon Humphrey, Humphrey 13 times, except that's where Washington's main target is, is McLaurin, who is off in the slot, or Antonio Gibson, who's often in the slot. So, he, you know, he, he was basically, even though he wasn't trailing any particular receiver, he was getting a lot of those very difficult assignments. Um, wonderful game of coming up, laying the hit on people to take them down for very little yak in this game. The other play that I remember, and I'm not sure if it's the one you refer to, but it might be, is he had a PD in the game uh, fairly late where the guy, McLaurin, made the catch on a ball that was slightly behind him. And he, there was no doubt that, that he was going to be able to strip the ball from him, but he flipped it up, and Peters almost came in and got the interception. A Washington player got his hand on it and, it, and knocked it to the ground. But uh, with wonderful play by Humphrey to knock that ball up in the air. Yeah, I was thinking of a different play where I think it was someone who had possession of the ball and was was you know running with it and then Humphrey stuck his stuck his hand in there and it, it jostled a little bit but it didn't quite come out that time but you know that's something that he's done so many times mm-hmm. and you know it's kind of like the Charles Tillman you know the, the hammer that he has for a hand that he just gets that ball out and that's a, a skill that you know he is definitely crafted and it's something that Ravens could use they could use playmakers on defense and and Humphrey is that guy yeah yeah it, you it, you can never go wrong having a player who has that skill. And Humphrey, this this forced fumble was a pry out, but he but he has a lot of them that are punch outs. And that ball comes out. It's it. The funny thing about it is it comes out and it never comes out like it's this easily bounding ball going down there. It comes out hard. You know, it's hitting the ground hard, often on its point, and it's bouncing in some really funny direction. Uh, it's just it's it's got he's got great. Uh, a uh, great amount of force is obviously being applied to knock that football loose. All right, it's outstanding to go through these players with you. Stars of the week. Let's get, name them three, two, one. Do you want to go that, or did, did you not create a list? I'll just name mine. Oh, I thought we were just going with yours, um, and I agree with them. I think they're the, they're the players. So, do you want to read them off? Sure. I mean, I, Elliot is my number three guy. I think we talked about him a little bit uh, already on the show. Anything else you want to say about him? I mean, other than what we already talked about, I think, you know, he, he had a couple of splash plays where he looked really good, but he didn't hear his name called in a negative. And when you're a safety, that's pretty much always a good thing. Yep. Yep. I would agree. I mean, the, the, about the closest he came to the negative was patting his own chest. And I think that was for hurting Queen and not for um, not having responsibility for that play. Because I think that his his concern there was that he's the back guy who's looking at the play. He's the one who's responsible for avoiding teammate on teammate contact that might cause injury. I think that's yeah. that's that was what I saw from that from that tap. It wasn't a that's my responsibility. I'm sorry I blew that. It was sorry about that, Patrick. I I shouldn't I should be careful not to hit you like that. Yeah, we d- we definitely don't want any friendly fire injuries. <laughs> okay, number two guy. We agree it's Matthew Judon. Absolutely. Two sacks, a couple more hits, pass defense, or pass breakup. You know, he was definitely making plays. Um, he, he mostly lined up as an edge rusher in this one, and we haven't see, seen him do that predominantly as much. He's been moving around the formation a lot more in other games. I thought in this one he played pretty much entirely on the edge, so that was a little different for him, but I think it worked out well in this game. All right. And number one guy, Marlon Humphrey, I think we've said a lot about him already. $100 million man paying off right away in his in his first game after the big contract. Yep, absolutely. He's um, the next big Raven star defender, and, and, you know, he started off his contract with a bang. You know, what's nice about the contract, too, for Humphrey as opposed to Jalen Ramsey, I mean, so many things I like 
better personality-wise about Humphrey than Ramsey. And I'm not of a mind to be convinced right now that Ramsey is a better cornerback, not in any way, shape, or form. But the, the thing I like about it, uh, uh, about it better, is it's a one-year deferred five-year contract where Ramsey is being paid immediately a five-year contract. And that really makes the value on Humphrey a little better as well. He's, he's obviously okay, – go ahead. No, I was going to say, absolutely. And that's the advantage of being able to draft your own player and not have him play on your franchise tag and, you know, be able to lock him up at the stage of his contract as opposed to waiting until after, you know, the contract expires. And then you can still have this ability to have him play on his fifth-year option and then extend him after that and just spreads out the cap hit more evenly and it makes it a um, lower number every single year. So it's, it's great for the player. He got the big money up front, but it's a team-friendly deal as well. Yeah, I, I love it. The only thing that I'm a little bit concerned about, and this this has kind of reared its ugly head, I believe, is that Ronnie Stanley is probably not happy in of the order in which these contracts were resolved. And I have heard various NFL insiders, but there's there's one in particular whose name I can't remember right now, who said that Stanley and the team had been in, meaning Stanley's agent and the team had been in contact for a long time. They're not really close on numbers, the Tunsil deal probably being a big problem. Uh, and that uh, they've tried various things to make it a shorter term deal, uh, but they can't seem to make it work. And now a signing of Humphrey after, you know, negotiations have obviously been going on for a while is not a positive thing. And in particular with Stanley heading into a year where he may be on the franchise tag. Yeah. You know, I hadn't really considered that, but I think that does make some sense. But it is true that they've been in contract talks for a while. You know, I think it's not like the Ravens haven't been trying to give him the money that he deserves. Obviously, they seem like they're still a ways apart. But in this case, the Ravens have some leverage. You know, you have the franchise tag, and that's not something that you want to wave over a player's head. But um, unfortunately, that's part of the business of football. And... They won't hesitate to put the tag on Ronnie Stanley, I'm sure, because they know he's that important to the, the team. Um, so hopefully, you know, they'll be able to come to an agreement on that. I don't think he's going to make like what Tunsil got, but I think it's probably going to be, you know, around the 20 million a year mark. Right. I, I would I would certainly expect that. And it could be even another one year deferred 22. Actually, he won't be because he won't be deferred. He's already played. His fifth year option was this year. Josh, let's go back to you. What do we have in the mailbag? Anything this week? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to focus on a couple of things in the mailbag because this is a long episode. Uh, and we're going to start with uh, Mr. Ed, who's wondering, now that Calais Campbell has a pass deflection in each game from dropping back into coverage, is this because of play design or veteran recognition? I, I'm going to go ahead and say that I think Campbell, first of all, seems to slide in one direction. It's almost like it's a, he's a zone blocker moving to a zone. So he's, he kind of goes a zone over. That creates opportunities to close a window on a quarterback who's throwing a slant pass. And I think we already saw that in the first game with that deflection that was tipped up and went to Humphrey, is that he's, he's effectively closing a window. It's so much better when he can do that and use his length effectively than if he just drops straight into the nearest zone. All right. Anything you say about that, Gabe? Well, I would say I would I agree with you. I think it's to answer the question specifically, it's both. I think there is a little bit of better and savvy in, in Campbell, but he's also been asked to just drop in coverage into that kind of window where the where the quarterback is going to throw the ball. So it's a little bit of scheme, 
but it's also Campbell, you know, understanding the play design and, and knowing when to get his hands up. And obviously, it doesn't hurt when you're six foot eight. It's been, it's been, I, th I think it's been remarkable in terms of just knowing, the, understanding the timing of when to get his hands up. Obviously, he's been doing it all his life, but it's remarkable to me. It always seems to be late. It's never like the quarterback threw it into his elbows because he just had his hands up, which sometimes it seems like with Carlos Dunlap, say. It's, it's usually a matter of he sees the quarterback ready to release, arms up, and it just happens to be right in time. Yeah, I think that's definitely part of the veteran savvy part. He's learned to time up the throw pretty well and knows when he can throw those big paws up there and get get the football. All right, let's uh, do this other question from Bishop, who's wondering, in your opinion, what is the bigger need going into next season, Ed Rusher or interior D-line? And what fixes the four-man rush next season? <laughs> so let's start by saying that one of the problems, I love this question, Bishop, is that they're going to lose potentially both of their same linebackers unless they can re-sign one. So Bowser is potentially gone, and Judon is potentially gone, and that's a lot of the scheme potential of the Baltimore Ravens in terms of the pass rush. I think that, that you know, that would be my bigger fear even than not having the next Joey Bosa or the next great pass rusher on this team is to not have either of those Sam linebackers for a season. Yeah, if I could chip in here too, I think you could also mention that McPhee and Ward are also free agents after this year. So Ravens do need to have an edge. Um, I think they will probably try and keep one of Judon or Bowser. I would probably lean Bowser at this point just because he's going to be cheaper. Mm -hmm. um, and like you said, they need that guy as a Sam linebacker who can also you know, be versatile and drop into coverage, blitz from different alignments. Um, Bowser and Judon both do that well. And I think you need to have one of those players on the roster because someone coming into that role is not going to know what to do in this defense. Right. It'd be, it'd be interesting because, I mean, there is it's right player, right price on Judon or Bowser, but I think you know the number on Judon is going to probably be huge, and he creates an immediate compensatory draft pick of a pretty high level. The Ravens probably won't pass the combination of that up, meaning the, the opportunity to get a cheaper player. What would be your number on Bowser? If, if the Ravens had, could extend him right now for, say, um, $20 million for three years, would you be all over that? Yeah, for sure. I was thinking more like four forty. Um, I think that's probably where his value is, probably somewhere around the 8 to $10 million range. Um, I mean, it kind of it would depend on what his, his output in terms of sack numbers and pressures are this year. But I think he's someone who teams can look at and say, you know, he was never really fully utilized by the Ravens. They haven't used him as much as they have this year throughout his, his career so far. And, I mean, maybe that's a little on the, on the rich end, but I think that that's the kind of money I'll be willing to, to pay for him. And that I'd like to have him for, you know, three to four years. Okay. I, I, I think I'd, I'd want it done cheaper and I'd be, I'd be really questioning the move if they had to go as high as 10 million. And, and it, you know, it's one of the things about, about extending somebody in season is you take all the risk away from them for the rest of the season. And, and they should like that. Cause I mean, all you gotta do is point at Brent Urban and a number of other players injured in their fourth year, Matt Skura and, you know, it, it, it doesn't always work out as well. All right. You can get your questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. Remember, the other way you can help out the show is share these episodes on social media. 
and head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating and write a little review. We got some great reviews in September, like Steve's review that says, best podcast, hands down. Ken will deepen your knowledge and appreciation for the game and for our team. Been listening for a year and have learned so much already. I love this show. Little reviews like that really help people find this show. So if you can head over and do that and share the uh, podcast on social media, that helps a lot. Um, Gabe, you doing some writing over on BSL right now? So I am writing. I do a weekly preview article. So I will be previewing the divisional matchup that the Ravens have upcoming against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. That will go up Wednesday. And I also have a podcast over there called The Bank with my co-host Jordan Coe, who is also my co-host for The Situation Room, who we definitely would love to have everybody take a listen to. Um, you know, we just got started this past week, but you know we're excited about it, and we're looking forward to hearing any feedback that you guys have, and we're looking forward to you know just talking Ravens on as many possible uh, platforms as we can. All right, and the Situation Room came out. We put it out in the film study feed as a little preview on Monday morning. Uh, while, we were, while we were recording tonight, I got the email that the Situation Room is now in Apple Podcasts as well. And so it's over there. It's on Spotify. Go to those places. Use your podcast player. Subscribe. Rate and review just like you do for film study for the Situation Room. Yeah, I, I can't say enough about Jordan and Gabe and what they bring whenever they're guests on this show and how much I enjoy having both of you on this show. Uh, Gabe, you know, we've had you for, for shorts. I've had you for offensive and defensive shows, but really always appreciate when you can make the time to be over here and uh, thrilled to death you've, you've come to our platform and uh, want to produce your content here. Uh, can't say enough. And we, you know, we're, we're particular <laughs> and and it's because Gabe and Jordan we believe in so much that 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 uh, we're th we're thrilled to have you here. Well, we're very excited about it too, and we you know we appreciate the, the opportunity, and we also love coming on your podcast. You know, this is this is great content. I love listening to it, and um, you know maybe we can do a short again sometime. Our shorts tend to be a little longer than other shorts, perhaps, but um, <laughs> they all do. <laughs> I, I love coming every single time. All right, let's talk All a little right. bit about the the rest of this week coming up. So tomorrow night, um, uh, we have the offensive podcast. That's with Alec Pulianis of Ravens Recap. Uh, he's always a lot of fun when we have him on the show. On Wednesday, we have a Bengals guy. It's a very good guest, a guy named Matt Minchik. I'm sorry, I'm going to get this wrong if I don't say it right. It's Matt Minich, who's an ex-coach, a big Bengals, X's and O guy. So we're really looking forward to that one as well. Thursday, of course, uh, we have... By the numbers with Dan, Dan Reese. All right. And of course, we've got the articles over on Film Study Baltimore as well. Defensive is out now, offense is coming soon. There you go. All right. Well, enjoy your day, and we will talk again soon.
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.